Midnight in Karachi with Mahavish Murad on Tour.com. Joining me today is writer Kat Howard, whose short stories have been published in Apex, Lightspeed and Subterranean. She co-wrote the wonderful novella The End of the Sentence, published by Subterranean Press. And her latest is her debut novel, Roses and Rot, a fantastic tale about a pair of sisters who arrive at an artist's colony to slowly find that things are not quite what they seem. But then in Kat's stories, they never are. Welcome to Midnight in Karachi. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Now, your new and your first published full-length novel is Roses and Rot. You've been a part of the speculative fiction scene for a while, though. I had to remind myself that this was your first novel. Were the short stories a really good way to cut your teeth? Um... You know, I, it's funny because when I started, when I started writing, I never saw myself as being a short story writer. I, you know, I went to Clarion, I got back from Clarion. And even though that's a workshop that focuses on short stories, I was like, nope, I am ready. I'm going to write a novel. Um, and that was what I started with. And, and then the novel got stuck. Um, and so I was like, well, I, I could try some short stories and see if maybe that helps get through the stuckness. Um, and it turns out that it did. And in doing that and in writing them, I absolutely fell in love with writing short stories as a form. And so then just couldn't stop. Tell me a little bit about Roses and Rod, please. Or tell me a lot about it, if you like. Where did it come from? <laughs> um, it partially came from a really long time ago, the very first time that I ever read this, the story of Tam Lin, um, which is actually, it's an old medieval ballad, but my first exposure to it was through Pamela Dean's absolutely terrific novel called Tam Lin. Um, and I, I've been like recommending this to everyone, um, um, that I can, it's, it's so great. Um, but one of the things that's in there and that's in the original ballad is that fairy has a relationship with hell where they have to send a tithe to hell every seven years. Right. Um, and that was something that just really, like, how did, how did those two mythologies even wind up in the same story, right? Um, it just seemed so strange to me how that could happen. And, and it's still not a question that I've answered, funnily enough. Hell does not show up in Roses and Rot any place, even though this is also a riff on a Tamlin story. Um, but that was sort of where it started, you know, the idea of, of you know, how does this happen? And, and then who... Because you can also, there's the idea that you can you could stop the tide, you could end it. Someone could save the person who was supposed to be going to hell. Um, and so I started playing with the idea of, you know, who do you make that decision for? Who do you love enough to risk that much for? Um, and and so roses and rot sort of came out of the thinking around that. In the um, in the acknowledgments, you you say something about being told to change the name, the title of the novel. What was it called before? Can I ask? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. For for year for the entire time that I was working on the rough draft of it, it was called The Lost Ones. Um and uh and I had I had sent this to Neil because he had he had been one of my instructors at Clarion. He's been, you know, a mentor and a help to me in my career ever since. And we were asking him if he would be willing to give the book a blurb before it went out on submission. Um, and his response was basically, yes, I love that this is great, except your title sucks and I'm not giving you the blurb until you have a better title. Um, <laughs> and that's enough, right? 
and that was enough. Yeah, and, and it was true because it was it wasn't one that it was one that was difficult to search. It was one that was difficult to stand out. It, it is not particularly memorable, whereas I think that Roses and Rot is. You know, my my agent helped me come up with it, and as soon as she mentioned that, I was like, oh, I could see that on a cover of a book. Okay, let let's do that. Um, so. It was it, the title wound up being a group project, but I'm very happy with it. As some of the best things often are. Yes, exactly. So how did you go about writing the novel? Did the characters and the voices come to you first or the plot or even perhaps, you know, the stories Imogen is writing, which, you know, I'm quite intrigued by? Um, I am somebody who almost always starts off with character or voice. And for me, it was very much um, Imogen's character and Imogen's voice were in my head from almost the very beginning. Um, and I knew that I wanted this to be, I knew that I was going to work with the Tim Lynn story as sort of a basic framework. Um, and so while I would say that plot is actually usually one of the last things that I think about and the last thing that actually comes clear on the page, I at least had the beats of the story um, based on the ballad. Um, I knew that I wanted it to be about sisters. And so Marin was very much there almost from the same moment that Imogen was. Um, but, you know, there were a lot of changes. There was there was originally an entire subplot of the story where, uh, and this is not a spoiler because there's no trace of it left, but there was originally a subplot where Marin goes to hell. Um, and that just did not work out at all. Um, she was too good of a character to have off the page for the entire middle third of the story, basically. Um, so it's it's gone through a lot of changes, but I, I am very happy to be able to say that I'm proud of the book that remains. Well, now you've mentioned a ballet dancer going to hell, and I'm reminded of the fact that we, when we talked on Twitter about uh, Kate Bush's The Red Shoes. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, would, were you listening to any of that when you were writing this? Oh, I mean... The Red Shoes was there all the time. I, lo- I mean, I love Kate Bush generally, but that one was there. Um, also, her Hounds of Love was very, very right. much um, um, in my head. And, and the visuals for that were very much there. Uh, this woman's work. I mean, there, there could be an entire Kate Bush soundtrack um, to this. Um, and the other one, the other big one, uh, uh, the, is The National's Sea of Love, um, which I listened to like... I mean, my, my iTunes play count for that has got to be some astronomically large number um, because it was just that was that that was very much the song that was in my head when I was writing. That was sort of the theme song. Now, Imogen, the lead character of Roses and Rod, is a writer. We meet her at an artist residency, um, mostly when we I guess we meet her a little earlier, a little bit before. But we spend most of the time at this residency with her, with her sister with the other artists there. The obvious question, of course, would be to ask how much of her is you or how much of you is in her. But then I found it interesting that, you know, her sister's a ballet dancer and you've collaborated on a ballet in the past too. So how does all this tie in together with your novel? Um, I did I did work on a ballet. One of my best friends, um, Megan Kershey, she and her sister are dancers and choreographers and I was able to write a text um, they, their company is called Sharp and Fine. And if you're ever in the San Francisco Bay Area and get a chance to see them perform, they do wonderful creative pieces with musicians right on stage or poetry being performed or magic shows in and among the dance. It's just amazing. And, you know, I've always I've always been fascinated with dance and I have always known that I am not talented in that way whatsoever. Um, but it's still it's an art form that I love. And so it was it was an easy art form to choose for one of the artists in the book um, because it's always 
you know, I understand intellectually that art comes out of hard work, but dance always seems like a little bit of a magic thing to me. And so I wanted that. And, and Megan was actually very helpful. She's somebody who beta read the book for me and, and talking to her about what the constraints and possibilities inherent in a dancer's career gave me a lot of insight into Marin and her reactions and her goals and her struggles. It was, it was so helpful. How much is Imogen like me? Um, I mean, in a way, you know, your characters are always going to have bits and pieces of you in them because they right. come out of We both like to write late at night. And we both bake when we're stressed. I, I could give you the, the recipe for the chocolate mousse that Imogen makes that doesn't quite work for her in the middle of the book because I make it a lot when my stories aren't quite working for me. But beyond that, you know, well, and also the big one, I have, I have a sister who is my very best friend. I, I wrote this book for her. But beyond that, I would say we're probably pretty different people. Although, again, it's, it's sort of an exercise for the reader. Anyone who, who knows me and, and maybe know, you know, reads the book might have a different answer. But she's, she's not meant to be me. Image and, and Marin are not meant to be me and my sister. This is, you know, this is not supposed to right. be a sort of biography on the slant. Yeah. And uh, I mean, of course, it's rather, there's also this rather intense young poet in the book, Helena, as well. And I know you love poetry. So in a way, I guess many of these characters are you. And of course they are because you made them all up. Right. Roses and Rot, to me, is very much about stories and storytelling and the power of creating and narrating stories, yours and those of others around you and, you know, what price this creativity comes at. That was, for me, the heart of the novel. Was it was that what you were looking at intensely when you were writing it or was it something else? I was really... Like to me, I guess, yeah, I, like, one of the big questions was the idea of, you know, what are you what are you willing to sacrifice for art? What would you give up? Um, because I think, you know, even outside of the realm of the fantastic, I think anyone who becomes serious about, well, anything really, whether it's art or something else, you know, we're, most of us have to make sacrifices. Most of us have to give something up, you know, whether it's just, you know, I need to stay, stay home and do this work or, you know, I can't go out this weekend or, you know, whether it's a sacrifice of money or whatever it is, you know, most of us don't have, you know, super blessed magic touched lives where we just get everything that we want. Most people have to work for things. And when you're, when you're sitting there and, you know, and, and thinking of, you know, I can do this, but that means I'm not going to be able to do these other three things. I could have this thing I want, but it might mean sacrificing a particular relationship. And so that was that was a question that I was really interested in wrestling with. Um, I still don't really feel like I have a good definitive answer. I think it depends on the person and depends on the thing. Speaking of sacrifice, what do you think the biggest sacrifice that a, a full-time writer or novelist makes is? Oh, man. Um... In your personal experience, of course, because I'm sure this is this is not an absolute answer. It's different right. for everyone. I mean, I think I think at this point, at, at this point in in my career, I'm I'm close to to being full time. I I do other you know freelance work that's writing related, but I think a lot of it is it's never feeling like I have enough time, and so always pushing things aside and trying to make time for writing, and then feeling guilty when I'm not doing things that are writing, even if there are other important things, um, you know? And so sometimes I feel like, you know, gosh, maybe I haven't, I haven't been as good of a friend as I should have been. I haven't kept in touch with people. I haven't, you know, and, and then, I don't know, you, you get all these, oh, I should, I should take care of this. I should do this thing, except I'm not writing. I'm not writing and I, and I should be writing and I want to be writing. And this is so important to me 
so finding that balance, it's it's definitely clearly from the status of my answer, something that I'm still struggling with. Yeah. So basically, every writer needs at least two lives running yes, in parallel. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. One of those time turners from Harry Potter. Yes. If I could get my hands on one of those things, I'd be set. Or the ability to function without sleep ever. That would be yes, okay. also good. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. it's twice I, your hours, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I just I can't drink enough coffee to be able to <laughs> to be able to give that up. Well, you could, but you wouldn't last. I mean, how long would that last? Three days? Four? <laughs> Psychosis would set in? I don't know. Exactly. And no one would like me. <laughs> well, hey, you know, as you said, writers are alone and, you know, very often on their own. So uh, we could, we could man we could work around the no one liking you part, um, but the, the the psychosis and the yeah that might be problematic. Yeah. Oh dear. Well, yeah, no, it's it's a dire situation, right? We'll just work on the time turner instead. Yeah. Now that it's out there, your first full length novel. Now it's out and it's wild and it's free in the world, or it will be very soon by the time this goes on, goes on mm-hmm. online. Are you having any sort of second thoughts about it? Was it easy to let go of? Did you know? this is done, this is ready. I mean, can you tell? Is it like the chocolate mousse? You know, and there's one moment when it's perfect, a little too much, a little too little, and, you know, stuff can um, go wrong. You know, I, it's, I know that the book in its current form is a, is the form that I'm proud of. This is the story that I wanted to tell. I mean, at the, by the time it's sold and go, gone through, you know, getting ready to be published, I I was actually actually just shocked by the amount of times that I've reread back over this book, um, both in, you know, drafting and writing it myself and then sending it to my agent for her feedback and sending it to beta readers for their feedback and then getting it ready to go out on submission. And then, you know, taking a first round of submission notes and saying, okay, you know, do we need to revise this and do we need to make it better? And then, you know, selling it and the different edits that it went through there and then copy edits and page proofs. And man, I have looked at this book so many times. Um, So I can say that I'm proud of what it is. And this is the book that I meant to write. Um, In terms of knowing when it was ready, it was a lot easier in the very early stages of knowing when it wasn't working um, not necessarily being able to identify that it wasn't working, but or identify the parts that weren't working, but knowing that it wasn't ready, knowing that I needed some more feedback, knowing that I needed to think about it. The, the more times it went through edits, the closer it got. There were times when I was just like, I'm sending this to you because I have no idea. I don't know. Can you tell me if this looks okay or if I'm going to embarrass myself by sending it out? So it's it's nice to have people like agents and editors and, and readers that you can trust that will say, actually, yeah, no, you're 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 OK. We're, get, we're ready to try this now. And of course, collaborators as well, because I wanted to bring up the end of the sentence, which I, I think everyone knows because I reviewed it. I really, really enjoyed. <laughs> and you wrote that, of course, with Maria Davana Headley, who is, I believe, a, a, a friend also um, yes. and a writer in her own regard. What was that process like? That was actually, writing that process was probably the most fun I have ever had uh, working on a project. Uh, Maria is a friend, as well as an incredibly talented, smart writer in her own right. Um, and we were able, we we, uh, we we sold the book to, to Bill in the subterranean warehouse, because we were basically saying, oh, I would love to write an epistolary novel. I would too. Would you like to write it together? Sure. Hey, I'll buy it. 
Um, and then we wrote the original contract on his arm in a bar at a conference. So there you go for an origin story. But when it actually came time to write it, we had our first draft done in, I think, 20 days. Maria would write a chunk, and she was in London at the time, and I was in uh, St. Paul in the Twin Cities. And so I'd wake up in the morning, and there'd be like 2,000 new words in my inbox, and then I'd write the next chunk and send it back to her. And I have never had anything that wrote so smoothly or that I was so happy with in the process. Um, it was just, it was really a gift collaborating with her. It was great because there was always somebody there to, you know, when you said, oh, my brain thinks that we should do this and it's maybe a little weird. And then, you know, she'd be like, oh, yes, this is great. I have got the perfect weird answer for this. Um, so there wasn't that feeling of getting stuck on plot or details. It was always having somebody there to, to, to be able to translate the weird into something that worked on the page. So that's one way of finding twice the time is uh, doing half the work with somebody else. <laughs> exactly. What I need is a collaborator for the rest of my artistic life. Right. It's someone who also wants a collaborator for the rest of their artistic life. And you agree on everything and how to go about this joint artistic life. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you I, for song. Right. I know I should just like <laughs> I should just offer this advice out to everyone. Uh, if it was that easy. Um, I, I yes. you know, yeah, it's about as easy as finding the perfect life partner. I mean, this might be harder. In I'm fact. sure. <laughs> <laughs> might be harder. Now, I know you were an academic for a while. I also know that you work as an editor on other people's novels. You were saying freelance writing work of other sort. But were mm -hmm. you in some way or the other always going to, you know, grow up and be, be a writer of the fiction, a writer of the fantastic? If you weren't, though, in your wildest dreams, what would you have been? Um. You know, I actually, I came to writing fairly late. It wasn't something that I thought that I could do. Um, I had this very, very strange idea that people who are professionally published writers sort of basically started with, you know, it was a dark and stormy night and ended with, and they all lived happily ever after. And the entire book in between, they just sort of sat down and wrote in the order that it was published without ever changing anything or getting stuck or blocked or anything like that. Um, Needless to say, that's not how things work, and it's not how things have to work, but like for a really long time, I felt like if I couldn't do that, then obviously I wasn't meant to be a writer. Um, I went to law school. Um, I got a PhD in medieval literature, um, you know, and, and I loved working um, as a medievalist, um, and I, I loved my advisor. I loved uh, teaching. That was really, really great. Um, But yeah, there, it, it took me a while to figure out that writing was the thing that I needed to be doing. And now that you've figured it out, are you set? Is this it? Is there no turning back? Did you pick the right, right fork in the, in, in, in the bath in the woods? I, I feel like, yes. I feel like, you know, even during the times that, you know, things, things have been hard career-wise. I mean, gosh, I remember starting out, you know, when I was working primarily on short fiction, I remember one day getting three rejections in one day. Um, and it was just like, seriously, universe, did we, did we need to do this? Was there something that I'm missing that you're trying to teach me? Okay. Um, even with the, the frustration and the rejection and the things that aren't working, I love doing this. I love telling stories. And I, you know, I, it's even on a hard day, it's still the best job I've ever had. So what's up? next for you you've recently sent off your second novel did i did i see you tweet that of uh, last week or yes. so yes 
I'm, I am uh, at the end of March, like literally at the end of March, late in the day on the 31st, um, I turned in what will be my second novel to my editor. Um, it is not connected to Roses and Rot in any way. Roses and Rot is fully standalone, as is the second book. Um, and so I am I am waiting for edit notes on that and looking forward to diving back into revisions. Um, I also have a collection of short fiction that I'm working on that will be coming out from Saga probably in early 2018. Um, so I've been sort of looking back over past short fiction and figuring out what else is going to, to go in the collection. I'm pretty sure I just settled on the last thing, the, the last new thing that I want to write for that. Are you still writing short fiction while you've been writing the novels? Yes, yes. Um, Sometimes it's just really nice to have something that you can get into and out of in like 2,500, 3,500 words and just be done. Um, Especially when you're sort of sitting there stuck on word 40,000 of your novel and feeling like you're never getting out of that. But I also, I like short fiction because I feel like there's different possibilities in what you can do in a shorter space. I feel like I have a little bit more room to play with language, a little bit more room to be weird, um, that I can, you know, that you can pull a reader's attention um, for that very short, bright thing in a way that you can't sustain over, you know, 75, 85,000 words. Now tell me, I always ask people what's new and exciting and next for them in their lives, but is there something new and exciting that you've read or watched or listened to from someone else's creative life that, uh, well, that's really new and exciting for you? Um, let's see here. New and exciting things. Um, so I loved the TV show Supergirl that was out this yeah. that just up um I really it was just it was I liked it because it was about characters working really hard to to be good and do the right thing and that sounds like so shiny and naive and everything else but it was such it was just such a refreshing change it didn't feel cloying or overly sweet it just felt like okay yeah this is this is a way you could be a hero yeah Um, and I really liked seeing that um in terms of and then I'm turning around and looking at my shelves. Oh, well, I just, I finished uh, Maggie Stiefvater's Raven King, the fourth book in her Raven Boys series. And man, those books Is are it amazing? Because I haven't read the last one yet. I, I don't have it here in Karachi yet. And i am I'm been trying very hard to get Maggie on the show for a while, uh, talking oh. to her people, as it were. But I mean, I love the others. Has it, tell me that I'm going to be happy with the last one. Just I tell really me that much. I think you are. I felt no, absolutely no spoilers. I'm going to say nothing about it other than I was extremely satisfied both as a reader and as a writer okay. with the way she closed the story. I think she did a great job. I'll probably reread the entire series all at once later this summer after things calm down just to sort of lose myself in it again. But they're, oh, they're terrific books. If you like complicated characters and really good myth and just, interesting people i can't recommend those books enough so that's that's my that's my book thing that i'm really excited about right now so what am i looking forward to from you in the next six months in the next six months um well let's see here i do have whenever issue 10 of uncanny magazine drops which i actually think is today i have a new short story out in that um called the sound of salt and sea which is, I know you're not supposed to have favorites. It's like picking a favorite child, but it's one of the, my favorite Everyone had a favorite child, too. They all, my mother told me this yes. once. She had three and she was like, yeah, okay, there's a favorite. So, Yeah, see, I'm, I'm the oldest of four and I just, I can't think about who the favorite you is. You know it's because... you. It's always the eldest. It's always the firstborn. Because <laughs> that's me, too. <laughs> all right, that's our story and we're sticking to it. Yes, um, Absolutely. 
And then I also, I have a uh, Snow Queen retelling in the anthology, The Starlit Wood, uh, that's coming out from Saga that Nava Wolf and Dominic Crazian edited. Um, and it's a, one of my, it's a foray into science fiction for me instead of strict fantasy. Um, it's a Hans Christian Andersen retelling with quantum entanglement in. So that was, that's fun. that was pretty fun to write. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to people reading it. So those are, those are sort of the, the big upcoming things. And I'm always, I'm always writing short fiction. I've been doing a lot of that right now, actually to clear my head out after turning in the, the novel draft and just sort of reset my brain. Um, so yes, that's, that's, that's sort of the next six months. Now, last question, does the new novel have a name? Will you change it completely? Um, it does have a name. I really like the name, but I have been told that there may be a request to change it. And so right now I am staying really secrety about it, um, just to prevent confusion from erupting. Fair enough. Cause you never know, right? Right. So, but as soon as I am allowed to tell people, I will definitely tell people, especially if we get to keep the title that I like. <laughs> well, in the meanwhile, Roses and Rot is a great title, even though you have well, to change you. it. <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy with it too. So thank you so much. All right. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. 